clear. We are the weirdos. I am God. What? I tried to warn her. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Oxterion. Here I am, your co-host, Jordan Cruciola. And I am your co-host, Sam Weinman. And I I don't know what order I don't know what order this is gonna come out in. Um, but this Sorry, is but really quick, no- you're here I am. Very Stephanie from Happy Birthday Barbie. Here I am. <laughs> Friends, someday, just just find Barbie Birthday Epcot 94. <laughs> a VHS people got for nine for one penny uh-huh. if they bought a Barbie doll for $9.99 or more in the year 1994. And let me tell you, it's a musical treat you didn't know was your favorite movie. Sam has done so many edits to Happy Birthday Barbie at this point. I can't, I don't even, I don't know how I would feel if I, I don't know what my reaction would even be if I watched uncut original Happy Birthday Barbie at this point. I don't even know how long it is. I don't know how long regular Could be five minutes, could be a million years. We don't know. Yeah. Because because somewhere in there, you're going to see Tyra Banks making a cappuccino and Halloween resurrection in my version of Happy Birthday Barbie. Oh, I don't even, I don't know how long original Happy Birthday Barbie is. We yeah. have, we have just it, it it's a living document much like our constitution except it's much easier to update. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> except it understands the world is not the same as it was yeah. in the 1700s. Oh my god, what a beautiful thing. Friends, I just interrupted Jordan's intro like literally the one thing I asked her to do, like please intro this and then I'm it's like, true. "Hey, uh and everybody that clicked here for Friday the 13th is uh hearing about Barbie." Yes, well, that's anybody who's clicking here is not surprised to hear that. Welcome back, um, friends. I missed you. Yeah, I, I, I was only saying that I don't know in what order this episode will come out, truly. Um, but just know, uh, everybody out there, that this is the first time we have recorded a new Ots episode in months. Months. But I do know that by the time you have heard this, you will know that Emerald Fennell was our <laughs> season opener. And what an opener! We haven't re- we we've recorded a, a bonus episode or two since then actually. So I was lying a bit before, but we haven't recorded an actual like like aughts movie based episode. To be in fair, months and months. You sitting through me talking about Willa Ford for forty five minutes doesn't really count. I mean, no, that was different. <laughs> that was different. And Sam thought that was going to be a mini sode. I did. And I started. We started. I was like, this is not going to be a mini sode. Like I I'm absolutely sure about. I that. was like, do you have five minutes tonight? Well, I think it was you. Do you want to do Willa Ford and an episode like a full regular episode? It was like we don't know, like that we like we, it's one or the other because that will be like doing two. That will be doing two full episodes. Now, I'd love to share that Willa Ford is who actually brought us to this right now. Yeah, I was gonna say is what brings us to this moment today. Although it was only incidental that I wanted to discuss <laughs> Willa Ford with such fervor before. Right, yeah. Will that 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 was a different occasion. The Willa bonus episode was that was its own separate conversation. But what brings us to this movie and why we are talking about it? Because f- this, to me, this is this is a special episode. This is a bit of a very special episode mm-hmm. because it's really it, it's it's the Willa episode. It, it's not it necessarily is. and and but not just Willa. Julia is Willa. here. Like, there's a lot to discuss. But this is not for me an Oxterion movie. This is, this, this has, uh, it's generally rightful place in history to me. Uh, I, I, it's, it's not, it's, it's my least favorite of the Ots era remakes. 
Um, but this is this it's too important of a cultural artifact. Yes. In 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 so many of its pieces that make the whole to not discuss. It's important to talk about it, even if I do not put this in the Ostirion library. This will not sit next to Jennifer's body or the hitcher in my closet, no, my friends. No. And 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 the tough part is, is every time I watch this movie, I'm like, this is going to be the time where I see something in it that makes it Ostirion worthy. This is going right. to be the time something clicks for me that didn't click before. And here's what I'll tell you. If this movie was uh, 45 to 50 minutes long, like if there was <laughs> yeah. like a, an edit of just the good parts. If this, this was movie, just the host cut of... The host cut yes. of Friday the 13th. We can have a lot. There actually is some great fucking stuff in here. But uh, it is. Admittedly. Yes. And and that is why we're here. Not because we're just here to tear something down, which <laughs> I mean. But, yeah. We're not, but also, not here for that. Because there are some like really special things here that shouldn't be ignored and really mm-hmm. tie to um, the cultural moment. And in my opinion, the wrapping up of a, of a decade of horror um, that we're moving away from. This is, I think it is a, it is a fabulous um, statement on the horror of the 2000s that Jennifer's body and this remake of Friday the 13th come out in the same year. This Sorority I, Row, right? Wasn't Sorority 2007. Row 2009? Oh. 2007. We've done That's, this before. I've done this every time. <laughs> yeah. Every time I do it. Every, yeah. No, but, but 2009 that, also had The Orphan. It was like, 2009 was a year for 2009 was a year and and but I specifically for the senses of Jennifer's body and Friday the 13th I think that the environment that Jennifer's body is acutely aware of is very embodied by Friday the 13th specifically I love that Um, and because this is you know there's a thing that people a thing that, that was important to talk about when we were discussing uh 06 Black Xmas is like, wow, guys, the kills in this movie are fucking spectacular. And did you realize also that there's a whole amazing movie that occurs in the other 90 minutes around it? Yes. 84 minutes around it. This movie, Friday the 13th, 2009, spectacular kills. Guys, some of the best of the series. Credit where it is due. Spectacular kills. But beyond that it's such a such a lack of aware of awareness of how to handle so many more assets that it has in its possession i agree and some of the best assets of the odds yeah. because we of have juliana gill playing brie uh-huh. juliana gill who was madison in my super psycho sweet 16 my friends are gonna freak when they find out i reopen the roller dome Madison Penrose, baby, Madison the Penrose, original birthday girl of the Super Psycho franchise. Uh, a, a brilliant talent. And and to answer your question, because we talked about this before, Jordan, um, my Super Psycho Sweet 16 came out October 23rd, 2009. But mm. this movie oh. came out uh, February 13th. So the order of wow, this, so 2009 should have been the year of Juliana. Juliana Gwell, come on. Yeah. So God. That, that came out at the beginning of, 2009 and of course it was a i mean it made like 92 million dollars but it was still considered a disappointment compared to some of the things in the past because what we're talking about here is a platinum dunes movie so texas chainsaw 03 amityville 2005 another texas chainsaw on there the hitcher 2007 so platinum dunes was 
defining the remake in in the early 2000s. Crucial to note that this is a Michael Bay owned enterprise, Platinum Dunes. Michael Bay produced it, baby. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I will add, it's directed by uh, Marcus Nispel, Nispel uh-huh. who also directed the very first Platinum Dunes remake, Texas Chainsaw Massacre in 2003. And that is important. Because that, Sam, that is very important. Texas Chainsaw 2003, as we've discussed in a previous episode, really changed the shape yep. of aughts horror. I mean, that it was did. the beginning of the 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 remake boom and uh-huh. also just the the establishment of the aesthetic. So coming back to the same director wow, yeah. to do the 2009 remake of Friday the 13th, it shows you how much we changed as a culture between 2003 and the end of the decade. A thing that um, 03 really, I think that me and you came out of both, I think we both came out of that episode sort of feeling like, Man, that's not a movie we, like, need to go back to a lot just because it's right. so punishing. Like, everybody in it is doing a great job. A tremendous Jessica Biel performance. Like, there, there is a lot of, there's a lot of um, historical value in the 03 TCM, but um, really deeply unpleasant. And yeah. there is, I think, what this movie carries over and perhaps what Marcus Nispel was brought in for. Maybe he specialized in this, like, sleaze. Yeah, this is in a in a decade of sleaze, uh, which is very much what the two thousands were from <laughs> American Apparel through through Platinum Dunes horror movies, mm-hmm. um, through Girls Gone Wild, through you name it, sort of situation. Uh, this movie, I, and I think that is why when I when I watch this again, even the the Friday remake, is that the kind of sleaze. If I saw a movie that gave me this kind of sleaze now, I'd be down. I if 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 our if our dear friend Dana J.K. Oh, made this Dana kind would... of sleazy mm-hmm. tits out horror movie, I'd be like, we are in good hands. Yeah. We're having a great time. Mm-hmm. Like, look at X. X is sleaze. X is classy sleaze. But watching it in two thousand in two thousand nine and of two thousand and nine, it is aware simply, of nothing. Oh, it, it's that's it. It is simply too much of a piece of the bad sleaze about that era yes. that is not like Jennifer's body aware of that sleaze of that kind of era. It is not in a way that honestly, 2000, 2007 sorority row, it kind of feels aware of what is going on in the era as we have talked about being the mega mix of the odds. Yeah. This movie is just a pig and shit. It oh my is god! Just yeah, rolling around. Two thousand nine. Yeah, and yeah. and and I I you know judging by the tone of it, I, I honestly don't know that that would be considered a pejorative statement to the people who made it. Like the producers of this might be like, yeah. fucking a man. Like oh, totally. <laughs> maybe that that was their whole deal. But like it it is the era itself is too regressive for this kind of sleaze f- to feel good. Upon my rewatching it in the way that I absolutely can appreciate in so much of what comes from that time. So I would love to talk about the aughts, like an overview of that decade, just thinking about it. Because when we talked about 2009 before, like when we talked about Jennifer's body, uh-huh. we talked about um, the toxic culture of uh, of online like bullying uh-huh. and uh, Hunter Moore and that yeah. other guy. I hope they serve beer in hell. 
Tucker Max. Tucker Max. I always call him Max Tucker. Yeah. Uh, but and and how that was the predominant culture. And so what you see when you look at the entire decade is an increasingly toxic, but also sleazy point of view, right? Yeah. It just gets bigger yeah. and bigger until it has to break. Uh-huh. And when we look at something like like just looking through the viewpoint of the actresses, like when you see Will Afford, those of you who have tuned into the Will Afford bonus <laughs> yeah. episode, you're like, oh, I got you. I know exactly what you mean. For those who yeah. haven't, Will Afford's career started with the album. I think Will that we'll have the Will Afford episode precede this one. I like so it that. can be a primer. That's I think that's crucial. Yes. And I will and I will leave the fun points for that. I will tell you in 2001 that was the peak of Will Afford's career. So we're right. looking at 2009 Will Afford. Uh-huh. And again, so thinking about 2003 Texas Chainsaw, 2009 Friday the 13th, looking at 2001 Will Afford versus 2009 yeah. Will Afford. Um, Willow is here was 2001. Now in this movie, she's still young. She's 27 or 28 at this point. Mm-hmm. But looking back at the beginning, like she was a guest host on TRL in 2001. Like that's how big she was for yeah. a second. A second. TRL. <laughs> which we have talked about many, many times of wanting to bring up on the podcast. This might be the end because in 1998, TRL started, but it was Total Request Live. But yes. it was to give you guys an idea of what this was for our generation. It's like you came home from school, you put on TRL. Yeah, a you did. T- you walk, you walked to the door, you put on TRL. That's it. You had I. You go if you don't have cable, you go to a friend's house. Shout out to Lindsay Donahue. Thank you for having cable. You, know, you go and, and it's a top 10 countdown, supposedly voted on by viewers. Totally not voted on by viewers. Yeah. And you call in uh, feeling like you have a voice. And then you request Destiny's Child and Corn in the same countdown. Inexplicably yeah. next to Limp Bizkit and Mandy Moore. Like, and sometimes they play uh, three seconds of a song behind Carson Daly. Sometimes they play a minute and a half of the song. Yep. Uh, did they ever play the complete the complete video of a song? When they played the complete video, it was when they premiered videos on TRL, which was ah, a big deal. Okay. It became a thing. Like the like getting the premiere. Oh, totally. So you ultimately showed up more for the show itself and not watching the video, right? Because you totally. see them every day. Um, I mean, but- it was a requisite stop if you were an artist of the day. TRL is where uh, Mariah Carey famously had like a bit of a public meltdown. Yes. When Was that around Glitter? Or yeah. when, she, when she showed up wearing, I think, only only a, like an oversized airbrush tee and heels and um, speaking a bit incomprehensibly on live television, like things happened on TRL. If you're just joining us, Mariah Carey just walked in wearing a t-shirt pushing an ice cream bin. Unannounced to me. Wait, 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 get the truck, get the truck. Hi, Carson. What are you doing here? Hi. How are I you? Just a surprise yeah, you didn't want to miss it. Because it was an important, like, this is, you talk about it all the time, the monoculture, right? And so in 2000, when we had, so TRL really peaked in 2000. That's when they had, like, the spinoff of the weekend one. Um, And in 2001, you can see the perfect satire of TRL and Josie and the Pussycats. (laughs) Josie and the Pussycats. When Carson Daly gets chased around by Tara Reid, who, by the way, they were dating in real life. And he plays this, like, satirical version of himself on a show that is completely made up. It's a farce. You know, if I wasn't a key player in this whole conspiracy to brainwash the youth of America with pop music, like we could totally date. So now this is where it kind of wraps up. 2008 is when TRL was canceled. 2009, we get Friday the 13th. Right, the, yeah. The decade has changed. At the last year of TRL, it only had 300,000 viewers. 
is what it averaged, which is like crazy to think about from being like the number one show for young people to watch anywhere yeah um to 300,000 viewers um so what does horror look like in a post TRL era um now we're getting like a varied in my opinion we get more varied horror like like you had mentioned Jennifer's body you know granted Mm. that wasn't a financial financial success but we were trying there's orphan drag me to hell we're fresh off of the heels of Descent. Descent 2 comes out. We're not going to talk about it. Uh, yeah, no, we're Dead literally Snow. not going to talk about it. Cabin Fever 2 is not just some run-of-the-mill sequel. As yeah. you've heard me talk about, it is yes. something, it is, a, is a, it is a stab. It's taking a big swing. So 2009, we're kind of trying to find what's next. And that's yeah. where this remake walks in, fresh on the heels of remake fatigue. Mm-hmm. And it does, tr- it seems, it purports. It purports, it purports to be doing something fresh. Watch that trailer. Hey, I'm not from around here, but I'm looking for my sister. She's gone missing. Have you seen her? She ain't missing. She's dead. In the trailer, it uh-huh. advertises itself like, oh, this is a cool movie. It's like a bunch of campers. You're like, oh, what's this? Like, it kind of yeah. seems like it. There's not really a vibe that it's Friday the 13th. They're like in search of some weed. And that's around the time that like that kind of stoner comedy was taking off. Right. Yeah. So we're like, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. This is about right. And then (laughs) Jason shows up to like protect the crop basically. Yeah. (laughs) And it's like, oh, wow. This is a fresh take. Okay. Yeah. He's a child of the corn. Yeah. And then you see Willa Ford in there and you're like, oh my God, Willa Ford's going to get naked. Okay. Hold (laughs) on. So this movie's like, by the way, we are going to bring you everything that you've been enjoying from this decade, but we're going to do something different. <laughs> and well, and it it has like if if you took the cast of of um, House of Wax and you took it down about a, about a grade. Oh, I love that. Yeah, you have this is this is an excellent of its era ensemble cast. You have Jared Padalecki. You have darling Danielle Panabaker. Yes. You do have Juliana Gwill, our beloved. You do have Willa Ford. You have Ryan Hansen is the, in this. You have Aaron Yu, a, a favorite supporting best friend yes. of this particular era of time. Like, this is a very respectable horror aughts ensemble piece. And you have the completely forgettable Travis Van Winkle, who, uh, if you guys are watching you season three or you enjoyed that, He's uh, he's the like conspicuously bisexual neighbor who likes to get naked. <laughs> yeah. So see him in an early role. <laughs> that's that's this movie. And it. It's so it's so I, I find this movie to be such an interesting case study in what we do here, because to me, it is. It's hard to find, like, the way we celebrate the trash of the era, it's kind of, like, I think inevitably implies the follow-up question of, like, well, where's the tipping point then? Like, where, at what what point and why does the trash not become worthy? Jordan, this is a good episode. I mean, I know we're just remaking it right now, but I'm like, oh, that is so true. It's why I I wanted to make sure we talked about it, even though, like, when we watched this at movie night, you were like, I know this is your least favorite remake. I know. And it's like, but this is exactly, like, this is sort of, to me, the case for how it didn't, how it didn't harness the garbage of the era to a satisfying effect. Because it is fascinating how many more, how much more boobs there are in this. Yeah. Then honestly, maybe anything else we've covered oh, I'd so say far. So. Yeah. On on this on the show. A lot of boobs. 
lot of boobs. Like, you don't get boobs like this in, in House of Wax. Mm-mm. You don't get them like this in Texas Chainsaw. You don't get them like this in, um, definitely not in the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. I mean, guys, because- Willa Ford is like skiing, uh, what's it called? Water skiing? Topless for no reason. She is, she is <laughs> wakeboarding? Topless? Well, you she know, because is- wh- why, be, why be held down by a top when you need to do a sport? It is, it is, yeah, famously women, women love, love doing love high intensity activities yes. topless that involve a lot of motion. What well, makes it and easier, also right? also could evolve, could involve being thrown into, at speed, the virtually concrete surface of water when you are being pulled off the back of a boat. Who doesn't love that? Who doesn't right. love that? It's like when I see, it's like it would like be at Beta Breakers in San Francisco and you'd see like a nude guy on a cycle. It'd be like, man, nude guy, how does that work for you? Like, where's the fun wow. in that? Unless the fun is, unless that's the point. I mean, as a cyclist, I gotta say, I, I can't imagine it. <laughs> I, it's like, it would have to, like, the punishment would have to be part of the reward for you in that situation. Like, I just yeah. really like, like, and that's legit. But it is, the way we are introduced to Willa Ford's boobs in this movie, she's underwater because the boat hasn't gone yet. And Ryan Hansen's like, you ready? And she's like, ready, let's do it. And then he starts going. She gets, as you do, she gets pulled up onto the surface. She's riding the wake. And then you're like, she's topless. Uh-huh. She doesn't, it's not, oh no, my top came off in the water when I fell, which is completely, honestly, legitimate. Could Again, totally happen. When you go tumbling across the surface of water at a high speed, your bikini top could absolutely get ripped off. That wouldn't sure. even be a reach. She is just waiting in this water with no top on to be brought to the surface for a brief joyride for us to spectate at a distance. Yeah. At a distance. It's, again... We're gonna topless is going to happen in the unjust uh early death of Willa Ford. But like this, it could it wasn't enough for this movie to be like, yeah, let's like have her top get ripped off when she crashes and burns and like and then she'll swim and she'll try to get away and Jake's gonna get her. They could have done that. But this movie said yes and mm-hmm. one too many times in that regard. And it was just like, guys, we've gone beyond gratuitous to like this isn't sexy. Like, there's nothing even, there's nothing sexy about what's happening here. The first boobs reveal we get in the cold open, it's not even sexy. Like, it's so it's cartoonishly yeah. a a pubescent boy's level of desire just to see boobs at any cost. Yes. That it becomes like. It's such a stretch, guys. Did a 12 guys. year old actually write this, though, guys? So. Jason's protecting weed and there's topless women everywhere for no reason? I think so. And Okay, but when you say that, I'm like, all right, yeah, let's see it. But the, in, in execution, like in where execution. this movie purports to be different, it, it it's kind of like it takes all of the elements that we've been seeing for the decade, but then it mm-hmm. phones it in. I think yeah. that's the issue. It's like, all right, yeah, check, check, check. It it just has fundamentally doesn't understand what works about sleaze and what yeah. has has worked about the sleaze that leads up to this point. Yeah. Cause it so, does. Cause it like we have talked about, like in in Slumber Party Massacre, 
Yeah. Um, you know, the the oft joked about and rightfully so scene where all the girls start changing into their 90s in right. the living room, just getting naked in the li- they we don't need to go up to the bedroom. We're just let's do right here. And it's like okay, but that was also like written and directed by lesbians. Like and you watch it there right. and there's something silly enough about it. To where it's like, okay, this is with with distance from this also. Like, I see the value here. But I, I observe now Friday the 13th with distance, and it seems even less joyful in its jumping of the shark in pursuit of titillation than it even did at the time when I didn't like it. Especially since there... This movie has... I, I appreciate this movie's ballsiness in, in who it's willing to kill. Um... It's kind of like, wow, no one's safe. Like, spoiler, guys. Like, you're with Danielle Panabaker, like, the entire time, thinking mm-hmm. she's the final girl. Guess and what? And she gets fucking dispatched. She's not And you it, know what? That's it. Fine. You know what? Kill your darlings. Like, I, I appreciate the audacity of that. But then okay. there's so many pieces of it that I can respect that once you put them in the hole, though, to me, they just explain irresponsibility. Well, let's let's actually, if it's cool, like I want to break down this opening scene just a little bit to give you an oh, understanding, because sure. I think that that sets the stage for what we're getting into with this movie, because in the original conception, apparently, like when this was being developed, it was going to be like a prequel or like getting it together. So that kind of makes sense. But let me tell you what we open with. It's like a black and white flashback of Pamela Voorhees, Jason's oh, mom. Right. And mm-hmm. so it's like, OK, here's the recap. She gets beheaded by some woman we've never met in yeah. a black and white rainstorm cool credits are popping all right so we don't have to come back to that nope wrong guess what we're gonna hear that again at the campfire did you enjoy that flashback that we all knew already because you showed up because of friday the 13th movie you don't need the explanation but guess what we're gonna tell you anyways that is this movie and you thought that was the opening scene it's not it's not opening scene you get a bunch of campers and you're like the opening in, first 30% of this movie. You are in this POV for so long. So you actually, long. there's, I thought that was the opening scene was the black and white thing. So in the way that Black Xmas gives us flashback on flashback, yeah. Friday the 13th, 2009 gives us opening scene after opening scene. And that's because when they made the switch from developing a prequel, they were like, you know what, actually, we're going to do parts one through four. And this movie in its in its short runtime that feels like three hours, yeah, um, actually covers the distance of four movies. Jesus, wow! So it, the opening scene is part one, and is it part one and two? Because we end, two. yeah. So it, it, that's a lot of space to cover. But oh, everybody yeah. that you meet is gonna die, except for one girl who we don't see die. I think she's wearing a flannel. That makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> yes. you know. And and so when the f- movie finally starts 30 minutes later and everybody's like, oh, fuck, I'm going to tell you, I was in the theater that night, that opening night. Uh-huh. And people left. Seriously? Yeah. And this wow. isn't an era when, like, listen, you didn't have movie pass or AMC <laughs> yeah. pass yeah. or whatever. Oh, you're it's right. Like, wow. You committed. You're You're there because you're excited. You paid your evening admission to be here. And people were like not having it It, because (laughs) because at the end of the day, when you fit that much into something like in an era of excess, and that's frequently what we talk about, we want Uh more on more. And that's what the odds was. This has so much that it's shoe. It it, it moves so quickly. It's boring, which sounds like that's not possible. Yeah, but it is. So Jason's, you know, they're there. These campers are there to get the weed. 
Um, Jason interrupts them and the kills are fucking good. And they're horrific. Yeah, they're, they're outstanding. They're at, the the Will of Ford's death in this movie. Fantastic. Great stuff. Wonderful idea to whoever had that. But between when we meet those campers in the opening to when they are all dispatched one by one, what we're stuck with is this weird dialogue between the boys and the attractive women that are there. And like, they do things like when you're talking about the boobs, it's like the, the female character has to like, she's like trying to flash her boyfriend really quick. Right. But they're like by the fire to be sexy. But then she starts, she takes baby oil guys, bait, like oh, actual baby oil, like actual, actual baby, baby oil. oil that she brought camping. What? Who the, f- for, okay. Who's bringing baby? Oil? You, you have <laughs> one backpack. Like maybe you've got your bottles of water, but ba- like a whole thing of baby oil. Then like a maniac she starts squirting her breast with it <laughs> it is truly truly unhinged after they've and been hiking for 10 hours and that is and that is what i mean about it, it just, like because we will then we will then see her topless again in the sex scene yeah we're, we're gonna, gonna get see it again this girl topless in a situation where her being topless li- completely logical but, but somewhere we need to a man e- was like hey you know what women do when they want to be sexy, they take out baby oil and cover their breasts in it underneath their flannel shirt. At, when they are sitting directly, directly behind another person that they're allegedly trying to obscure their body from. Okay, so here's the movie. Here's what I want from the opening. I want the side story. I want to see her pack that baby oil. <laughs> I want to see her check and see if it's still there on the hike. I want to see her get really nervous when she takes it out. She's like, oh, this is my big moment because baby oil is like her kink. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm trying to understand. I want to give a POV to, to her. <laughs> and, well, and arriving get, at this we decision. Get her, we get that girl's POV when she's inside the sleeping bag being cooked to death. That's, which is, you know, fair. An, an excellent, excellent kill. kill. And then later we get, like in the next scene when we meet our entire, by the way, whole new cast is swapped out. Whole new cast. Whole, whole new, new cast. cast. Everybody you met, bye. New that cast. you've just spent like 25 minutes with. Yeah, who ca- good thing you good thing you weren't invested in the baby oil <laughs> because it's dead. And then you meet all these new people at a at a gas station, and you're gonna get it. Don't worry, they're all as unlikable as anybody you've been introduced to so far. Yeah, and it's and the 2000s, so so immediate homophobic humor. Yeah, um, I mean, it was just like, bam! Did you miss me? <laughs> <laughs> Surprise! Right babe. on time. And what we get is like now. It is told completely out of order in a really weird way. So I'm going to tell it to you in order. So it makes more sense. (laughs) Um, But Jared Padalecki is like looking for his sister who who has gone missing. She's the one that we were saw die last. So we're like, maybe she's alive. Maybe she's not, but it's been a month. So Jason must be like really good at feeding his victims, caring for them, making sure they, you know, get, get taken care of wherever his prison is. And, um, and so he's putting up pictures around town to find her. And the town's like, dude, this guy's just causing trouble. Like the cop pulls him over and he's like, excuse me, you're on a motorcycle. And he's like, yeah, Bill, or whatever. Like he knows him. He's like, stop <laughs> yeah. hassling me. I'm, I'm trying to find my sister. And everybody's like super threatened by him for no reason. No reason. This is a town with eight people, but they are really bugged that he's trying to find his sister. They are all upset. Like they are all protecting Jason. Yeah. Like, like, and, and by the way, reveal they're not. Yeah. So it's never explained. It's never explained why, why everybody's everybody so, so hostile about, about this? this civilian, just like very legitimately looking for his family. So then it's a face off between a bunch of 
guys who are dicks and who can be the bigger dick. So like they get in there and um and what's her name? The actress you like? Oh, Danielle Panabaker. Yes. So Danielle's up in it and she's like flirts with him immediately because she's like that guy on a motorcycle. Hot. I'm gonna flirt with him in front of my boyfriend. In front of my boyfriend. No explanation. Yeah. Sure. Okay. (laughs) So of course, immediate trouble. Those two are like, I'm gonna kill you. And he's like, Yeah. And then they go at it or whatever. <laughs> and um, and then there's a fun reveal at the end of the scene that like Jared Padalecki stuck one of his missing posters on the back of their car. That's cute. Right? So it's like, then they're off on their way to go get murdered by Jason. The most logical character choice that anybody makes in this whole movie to me is when Daniel Panabaker invites complete stranger Jared Padalecki oh my God. into like a cabin that does not belong to her, that is nice. like her boyfriend's family, does not belong to her, just invites invites this completely fucking random a man. Stranger, she just, who stranger by the way she met at a made gas a scene station. At a gas station. Made a scene at a gas station, just met him, and like invites him in to hang out. Hey, come on in. And her boyfriend, who is a piece of shit, very understandably responds, being like, Why are you here? Guys, what is this what is this guy doing in my house? Yeah. Of course I remember Clay. Why is he in my house? It's like, Danielle, what the fuck are you doing? With Why are you bringing in strays? We're supposed to, the movie wants us to side with Danielle. And then we lose track of Willa Ford forever until we find her emerging topless in a, in a lake. Because despite a photo shoot that exactly replicates Paris Hilton's album, but like puts <laughs> Juliana Gill so and, uh, and Willa Ford in it. And w- what was the headline? It was like, Drop Dead Gorgeous. There it is. Uh, it, despite that uh, excellent and promo. And fact check, they are. They are. They nailed it. I mean, and, and listen, if you're going to watch that movie and take one thing away, yeah. It is. And see, here's here's an issue I have with the with the sleaze of this movie, which is that it, I like enjoying sleaze. I like enjoying titillating things. Uh, bodies are great. Nudity is fun. Sure. Women are hot. Uh, all of the above true. If, if if you are giving this to me, though, and I still am like, what's your fucking problem? I, I actually am, in some ways, your target audience. Yeah. Like, I'm an easy mark for this. Let's let's admire. Let's admire these women in their elastic-y 20s. Like, let's if see. I were... If let's I admire were, these brooms. If, let's admire these brooms, these 2000s brooms. If I looked like that, and I was 26, and I was in these movies, I'd be like, do you want me to do the whole movie naked? Uh, I'm never gonna look like this again. Oh sure, let's so, get it on film. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna walk out in the street. I'm gonna go shopping like this, like as long as it's my choice. And Willa Ford, magnificent looking, stunner, gorgeous, Juliana Gwill without her clothes on, uh, extremely extremely gorgeous, beautiful, wonderful, no notes, and 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 yet I'm like, hey, not like this. I I am I am I am the white haired woman in the matrix before her battery is about to get pulled looking up at the looking up at the camera saying not like this not like this and oh then i am God. killed like that's that's me in that moment and it like it's so and again this movie i feel like it it thinks it's like being inclusive or something or at least gleeful enough 
in its presentation of salacious material to think that it's like coming out the other side and winning because like in the entire sex scene between uh juliana gwill and travis travis van Van winkle yeah standard hot asshole guy doing a great job at it the whole sex scene between the two of them he is just narrating the entire time how great her boobs are he's just he just keeps explaining how how perfect her boobs are and it's like you're watching it and you're being like who's this for is this is this a joke is this done because it's a bit and we're all supposed to be laughing because if so i'm not bad joke are you doing this because like are we supposed to think this guy's shitty but actually i fully don't believe that's true and the movie's 100 percent on his side in that moment are we supposed to is this supposed to be a tribute to juliana gwill because that's an outside fucking chance like what the fuck oh my god but let's give her the tribute she deserves and uh, and and she deserves and so she deserves danielle comes knocking on that door while they're having sex and it's very clear that's what's going on so danielle doesn't seem to be picking this up and no. the boyfriend's like, "Hey, hold on a second. I'm still finishing or whatever." And yeah, he's like, like, "Get the f-, he's like, get the fuck get the out fuck of out. here." Like yeah. he's he he knows who it is. He can hear his girlfriend's voice, and he's like, "Get the fuck out of here with Juliana Gwill on so top I'm of like, him." Are we supposed to still be siding with Danielle because she's not? She spent the whole day with like <laughs> another guy who's obviously she's more interested in, but like yeah, she's hundred percent chosen it's another like, boyfriend. Just, because there's nobody to root for, it just really sucks. And the person I'm really rooting for the most is Willa Ford because she seems to be having a good time. But guess what? She's first to go. Yeah. So she's like out there doing the water skiing thing. And uh, Jason gets on, murders the guy driving the boat. So the boat, tur- when the boat turns around and it's heading straight for her. And, you know, just like anybody would, she just sits there going, hey, what are you doing? Yeah, so with the boat, boat that's coming straight boat for her head. Speeding straight towards her. Uh, of What's course, going makes absolutely on? no effort to get out of its way. And I think she waves to it. Clobbered. Yeah. Done. Bang. Right. Yeah. So then she, blood in the water. Williford's got to get to shore. And on shore is Jason Voorhees. So she's like, fuck. So she hides under the dock. And I got to say, this is one of my favorite kills in it's, it's all, of the, all of the Friday the 13th, possibly the decade. Um, because Jason sticks his machete through the dock, yeah, lifts through the it up. Yeah, between the boards. And somehow this machete uh, has a really good grip on Willa Ford's brain or something because yeah. it pulls her entire body up, it revealing her breasts. It goes straight into the top of her skull. Yes. And it and just lifts- skewers her to the point where he can just like lift her up and lift down up. with it. Like pulling a popsicle out of a tray, like when yeah. you make him at home. Yep, it, 100%. It is, it was so whimsical her head goes up her (laughs) head goes up there's that perfect when it hits the wooden boards on the dock and you know this does matter within the composition she's she's at chin level when she's in the water and then when she comes up she's totally topless and the way her body just kind of like shakes when she hits the wood like you can tell willa ford like actually hit that wood and like bunk because of like honestly the way her boobs move like it, it it's just like it's so the every little detail of it yes. is like this is a perfect sight gag yeah this is a and it 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 justifies the presence of the 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 fact of the nudity in service of a totally worthy slasher movie kill which is why we didn't need to guilt we didn't need to we didn't need to put the hat on the hat and have the topless water skiing before it just like there was such a sense of like 
there was such a sophomoric sense yeah. of these of the carnal delights of a slasher movie. And you can be stupid fun or simple fun without being sophomoric. Like right. this movie is like the slasher equivalent of a fart joke. Yeah. And I personally think fart jokes aren't funny. All like to me, this this validates everything I thought about the Texas Chainsaw 2003 because I'm like oh the good parts were an accident got it sure because the execution you would think if he's matured uh the execution of this would be a little bit differently but instead it's like he looked at that and he's like oh I got it I know what made that sing and yeah so yeah um it's not that great right but like it's hard because I'm so loving the cast like, honestly, the way that Willa and uh, Juliana both deliver the dialogue in this film, they take lines that should sound stupid and they make them believable. I'm like, oh, yeah, she They did. are doing their damn best. They worked so hard to make this movie watchable. They worked so much harder than this movie. They are doing all the heavy lifting. And listen, they don't have that much opportunity because they're women <laughs> in this movie, so they don't talk all that much. It's rare that I feel like I look at a movie from this time that we would cover and I don't see the missed opportunity as something as an extension of the public sentiment around it as and instead as an actual actual fact of the film itself. And I look at this movie, which is part of my like I don't generally like the Jason franchise isn't my favorite. So it's not like I was holding a candle for this Friday the 13th. But even watching it, I was like. It's a missed opportunity. Like, this is... I don't feel like we didn't get it right the first time when we were considering this movie. I feel like, in fact, we did get it just right. And it's so... There, there are such subtle shades of, you know, the... the This is a... This Friday the 13th remake feels like a movie that Jennifer Check would have been watching in-universe in Jennifer's body. Right. This feels like a movie that a fake movie that would have had scenes shot for it so that Jennifer Check could be watching it in the world that is metatextually aware of the virulent pop culture misogyny of the aughts and therefore presenting the most boilerplate version of that in horror cinema to put it in front of Jennifer to make a joke about. Right. That is what this movie feels like. And on that note, you know, when you think about the scene where Juliana is dancing for the men in the cabin, but not yeah. for anybody, you know, yeah. it, that's really, that's really millennium era horror. It's oh, like, like you there's said, the girl with the big bottle dancing in little clothes. That's it. Big bottle, little clothes. Cabin. <laughs> check, check, check. And honestly, that's, that's really um, satirized in 2011's um, Cabin in the Woods because uh -huh. we get uh, that completely. scene and it's, it's a, it's literally that, except it's aware this movie maybe is the last time that happens with nobody knowing what's going on. This movie feels like a satirization of the 2000s, honestly. Yeah. It feels like a satirization. It is so on the nose 2000s where it like in the way that separate from the way that 2007 sorority row is so of the 2000s, but it has this incredibly biting sense of humor to make you yeah. feel like there is more going on in the movie than than what you see like necessarily top level this movie feels like if it was in the hands of a director if it was this movie could basically be cabin in the woods we just don't reach the punchline 
Yeah. Like, the way this sets up, the way that, like, it sets up characters and then they just disappear, the way everybody is completely secondary to the way they die, the way bodies, women's bodies exclusively are put on display for gays to, like, a preposterous degree. Like, it, it feels like this is Cabin in the Woods before anybody was able to write the flip at the end where we yeah. realize we're in an underground layer filled with all the monsters that have ever existed. God, you nailed it. That's exactly what this is. It's the and Truman Show that never finds out it's the fucking Truman Show. I think to the movie's credit, there is an interesting flip at the end that we that I didn't expect mainly because the writing didn't support it, but <laughs> also because it's just not something you would see very often. But Jared Padalecki's character um, does find his sister who has yeah. been, by the way, we cut to her throughout the whole film. She's living under the floorboards. I, yeah, I mean, she's, really. She's just in a, she's like, in a little hovel. Can we get floor. this actress in for one day and shoot <laughs> yeah. her out? Yeah, just have her like crab walk around the floor <laughs> with like some light coming through some boards. Great. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. I mean, Honestly, and it, and it does give us some insight into Jason and just what a good friend he is because he somehow managed to keep this woman alive for four weeks, you know, <laughs> at least. And yes, so there was TLC from Jason on this one. Yeah. What's he feeding her? I didn't see any rappers. She's also learned nothing about strength because like she just constantly loses it. Like you expect her to come out of the basement. And it's like this girl, she is ready. She's been training for this moment. She's going to take Jason down. And it's like she's been planning. All she's had time to do is plan this moment. Yep. Turns out she wasn't. No, she's just going to get, um, you know, scream. She's going to scream. Yeah. I mean, really, it's it's and it, and it makes it so lackluster, but it's exciting that it's a it's a brother sister thing. I love that. that part. I do like that. I do like that. Yeah, and I and I like that you he gets she like ultimately like stabs him in the chest with his own weapon, which is yeah. fun. There's a chain around his neck, putting him in the water. Great nod to the series and things that have happened. Like it's like the nods are cool. It's just like it just feels like it's it's a hollow, empty ending, and and it's been a trudge to get there. You know what this screenwriter duo also wrote? Tell me, Freddy versus Jason. Oh no. You're right. I mean, I didn't know that until you said it, but like that checks but, but, out. But you felt it. You yeah, I felt check, it. I, that's, oh God, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Can't you just, can't you just feel it? Oh, wow, yeah. Air? Like Talk this about- movie, this movie lets you know who put faggot in a Christmas sweater mm-hmm. in Freddy versus Jason. Can't stop saying it. <laughs> you know? It like, it, it- this you this movie was like, I wish I wish they were like, hey, we need another pop star, just like we did with Kelly. Uh-huh. We got Willa. Nobody remembers. It's been eight years, but that's fine. <laughs> you know, we got Willa, and and somewhere there's like some missing scene where she just says something blatantly homophobic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I I feel like the fact of this director made TCM03, mm-hmm. and these writers wrote Freddy versus Jason 03. Yeah. And then they come together for 2009 Friday the 13th mm-hmm. is one of the most 2000s statements that has been or will ever be uttered on this podcast. Yeah. It it is it is indicative of Texas Chainsaw 03 is going to be indicative of 
a very much the best and worst of the Michael Bayization of horror in the 2000s, of its excess, of its brutality, of its nihilism. And I don't see that like those things are bad. Right. Um, also of its of its regressive points of view, of its of its sleaziness. Mm-hmm. And we see we see in Texas Chainsaw 2003, I feel like the presentation of the possibility of the era and then sort of everything else is going to feed off that afterwards and be like, all right, what will we, what will grow from the, this is, this is the ooze. And then everything, so many things that come after it will be the turtles that bathed around in it and became mutants. And we will see what they become in, in, in the wake of that, in the wake of that sort of toxic infection. And again, I say that loving a lot of the toxic infection and this movie we see like coming at this time when it is really, the dawn of the next era like we are seeing the seeds planted for the early 2010s in horror and and how that will be different than what has come before and and the the possibility that will arrive in the next decade and and come to and will be fulfilled and then you know from which we will keep growing to today and then we also see but what we see in that time too is sort of the nadir of things mm. like this is post like in the way that you can't have 2007 without 2005 like with with those sort of like peaks of peaks of the 2000s and their valleys if the 2000s if 2007 is a peak of the aughts that means what careens down afterward is the trough like it is it is it is the peak and then into the valley and in 2009 we are truly entering a valley of the 2000s as we begin that roller coaster ride ratchet up 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 to what will come next in the tens but yes. we are down in the dip in this fucking movie you know i think a really good example of that is is aaron Yu's performance and kind of like the underutilization of such a charming character but the yeah. out loud commentary about how um julia a girl like juliana would never be interested in a guy like him who by yeah. the way he's super hot he's but- such a babe he is not a white character in this movie. Yep. And so all of a sudden it's just understood. We are all to understand why she wouldn't be into him. And it's like, ugh. you know, yeah. this is minutes before we're finally examining our copability as an audience in going along with this kind of humor or, or characterization. And so it's like, I don't know. It, it, it feels like a little too late, but it's a little too early at the same time. <laughs> and, you know what I mean? It is. It's too late to have been embraced for for what it is because we are at fatigue at this point. Yeah. And with um, like the Nightmare at Elm Street that's going to come after this in 2010 also wasn't very successful. And, yeah. and with Texas Chainsaw 3D that's going to come out in 2013 truly feels like something on the fumes of the era that is ended, but that it should right. have arrived in. This and movie then, is the check engine light. Yeah, you know is. this this movie is this movie is the car in the hitcher after it has been fucked beyond yeah. operation. It is limping to a halt, and Grace and her boyfriend are about to set out on foot, and it feels too soon in its sense that if you put this script into the hands of like a Coralie Farge now. I would love to see what would happen to it. If you put this script into the hands of a Vivian Vaughn, I would yes. love to see what would happen with it. But it it was not some it was in its way 
exactly meant for the people who made it, which is what makes it so corrosive because they were so appropriate for the material. There was nothing going to be done to transcend what it was. And I don't say transcend in the sense of making it elevated horror or high art. Right. I mean, just making it a high quality fucking slasher, making it even Black Christmas. Yeah. I would say what the most disappointing thing about this movie is for me is that Jason X existed. Right. And this is where we went from there. And when you watch them today, if you watched both movies in 2022, Jason X feels more progressive than Friday the 13th, 2009. (laughs) Mark my words, I said it here. Because it is. It fucking is. And we will get there. (laughs) Yeah, like, I think... I, like this is I was thinking about it and and the, the Jasons that I prefer are the the ones that are the most maligned because they're the most extravagant I or it's just the most silly like Jason basically give me Jason 8 9 10 yeah. <laughs> give me Manhattan goes to hell and then space yeah like those are the ones that I will watch repeatedly and have a very fun time that is why I like uh you know the surprise treasures in the Amityville horror franchise because it is willing to get so weird in this genre of remix that is horror and to come off the silliness and extravagance and imagination of jason x and to go absolutely lowest common denominator to this remake yeah in 2009 was like i'm sorry were we just tired of having any ideas like were we tired of having fun were we tired of being interesting were we tired of taking chances like which is it And yet, I will tell you, I've seen a lot of this movie. So why do I keep coming back? It is the Willa Ford of of it all. I love Willa. I love Juliana. I will watch this anytime you put it on to honor Willa and Juliana. Come on. I will. Like, if I had a time machine, I would do completely irresponsible things with it. Like, go back and fix their career. I just need to give them an opportunity. I would go go and fairy godmother so many women of the 2000s. Yes. Just fucking write these wrongs. Yeah. And it's just like. I would protect. I would protect Britney. I would throw a human shield up in front of Eliza Dushku. I would give Willa Ford the record contract she deserved. I'd make Juliana Guil a star. I would put Katie Cassidy in as the lead of When a Stranger Calls. Yeah. And and the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, if we're being real. Um, (laughs) I I refuse to let go of Rudy. Just. Well, no, they can both be in it. But let her (laughs) let her exist. You know, but uh, I I will say that I do think it is work like Friday the 13th, 2009, that are responsible in some ways for those things not succeeding. Because if Friday the 13th had been a successful execution of the kind of sleaze that it was, I think Juliana would have been celebrated for that. I think Willa Ford would have had a career reboot. I mean, Willa Ford had done Playboy in 2006. It's not like she hadn't exposed herself so to speak you know but that was like fun and cool and she seemed comfortable opting into being a public body in that way yes but i think that movies like friday the 13th that treat its female characters as disposable and only as valuable as their bodies yes um that actually that it doesn't matter how talented they are they won't be remembered for that and that hurts ultimately hurts their career and i and i yeah. blame that on the people who made the movies i completely i think that really gets i think that really gets to the heart of it which is that um the each of the each of the centered actresses in this movie is treated like a red shirt yeah like not that not that 
girl from cold opening and baby oil deserves less dignity she doesn't no but they're in the in the archetypes of horror cold open kill right we know it's with, respect comes with certain you know it comes with baby oil scream scream jokes about this like you know it has heather graham becoming drew barrymore's character casey but except now she's coming out of the shower and she's putting on a robe because it's a play on horror like there are there's a part of the structure here in the archetypes where i respect I respect going for the red meat. Yeah. I get that. But then to take your your principles after that and to treat each of them like red shirts to me implies an innate understand an, an innate conveying a belief by the people making this movie that that is what women in a horror movie are good for. Like they're all going to die unjustly. They're all going to, like, the one girl you think's going to be your final girl because she's brunette, Danielle Pennebaker, gets fucking obliterated being a hero. And we save yeah. the girl who's been in a been in a fucking floor closet the entire time with the least developed of all of the three, of all of the four key women in this movie, is the one to survive at the end. And I love the brother-sister thing and I'm happy for her. But it's like, but... Any of the time that we spent with those other women, like we couldn't have honored them in any other way. Like if you're going to if you're going to red shirt nudity, these women, at least let them fucking make it to the end. Like at least do them the justice of not paying them dust. And it, it really and I think that really is what gets to it for me is there is just a predominant feeling in watching this movie that it really was casting and like if they weren't asking in the casting their primary motivation was like well she's gonna look great with her top off that was every woman cast in this movie unless it was Danielle Panabaker and then they were like but we're gonna kill her anyway which is just like fuck guys like all of them like all of them wow <laughs> wow it, it really like um, imagine if Rooney had gone through the very sad backstory of 2010 Nightmare on Elm Street and then they killed her. Yeah. So a random girl who she knew from down the street could be like, I made it. <laughs> what? Oh, my God. And thank God. Well, Rooney found the dungeon where terrible things happened to her at the hands of a pedophile. But at least her neighbor lived. You know, it, it is the it is the era of punishing I mean, not that this ever went away or that it invented it, but it is an era that uh, that that really leans heavily on. And also just like the currency is yeah. punishing women who are open with their sexuality. And that ties back to Willa totally. Ford and her career. And I would love for you guys to listen to that, uh, that episode. But for <laughs> real, like Willa Ford was told to be less sexual and not be so sexy in her first single. And so she wrote a new song, I Want to Be Bad, which is explicitly sexual and left that label by getting poached by another one because she's like, fuck you guys. I am in control of who I am. And it just wasn't an era that was friendly to women who were. And, oh God, no. and at the end of the decade, you still see, as you put it, the fumes, but you still see the fumes of that. I mean, it really is. The machine is still running. Yeah, and I think that this is this is um this movie is a very because of its high profile nature, because of because it is a, a legacy adaptation and it it brings with it the iconography of Jason, who is such a footnote in this movie. Who is such a footnote as Jason in this movie. Oh my god, he really um, is. Yeah, I've had no I've had no desire to talk about him this entire time because why would I? Yeah, why? Um 
And well, we it, got those two opening scenes. How could we not be invested yeah, in him? It, and so it just does really feel like a very good case study in if somebody has ever wondered, well, Jesus Jordan, does is anything not worthy? Is is any is anything bad? Are there Will any you ever bad draw movies? the line? This is that. This, this is, is one of one. those yeah. lines. This is yeah, there are bad movies. Atonement and this. <laughs> Friend I can't stand that goddamn movie. I I really like because I have to, you know, we've had this conversation before. I don't listen to podcasts that pick titles to shit on them. Yeah. And I really think it's important here to just kind of dig into why something doesn't doesn't work and in this yeah. case what the limit is and i think you absolutely pointed to that um yeah i think it's i think it's it's why the era does and does not work yes so is friday the 13th 2009 on Tyrion? no no but willa and juliana are willa and juliana are and just as i will watch this movie anytime sam would put it on in a movie night it will enter the record of Ots Tyrion because juliana will and Willa Ford fucking deserve it. Yes, justice for both of them. Mm-hmm.